y'all. Welcome back for the ninth episode of Not Quite Dead, the podcast. I'm super excited about this episode. It's with my friend Jamie, who we slowly remembered in our old age. We met at Dream Roll, which is a uh, women's bike rally that we went to a couple years ago. Anyway, Jamie's super cool. She lives in Portland. Um, We talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, She did not go to college. We talk about that. She works for a cool startup company for electric vehicle charging, and we talk about that. We nerd out a little bit about autonomous vehicles. We talk about being a salesperson as an extrovert versus having sales experiences as an introvert, that being me. Um, We talk about dating. We talk about all kinds of stuff and our uh, oddly similar childhoods, which I was not predicting. So it's a great conversation. I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks again for indulging me to have a week off for spring break, which I enjoyed with my family. Um, Anyway, have fun with this episode. Okay, so we're joined by Jamie. Jamie, what is the most stereotypical millennial thing about you? <laughs> well, I think I think that my millennial stereotypes um, really fit into a lot of the 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 privilegey side of things, but also mm-hmm. taps into uh, the emotional side of millennials. So. I, I was thinking about this and I came up with a few things. So the first is that I have an immense draw to like the tech savviness of millennials. So I've worked for like a bunch of different startups and I love that culture because it's extremely relaxed and not as, you know, dental office status quo. Um, and then another is that I'm, another kind of trait of millennial is that like, I'm very motivated by meaning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm very picky and choosy of where I spend my time and money based off of like who I want to feed or what I want to represent or, or what I can stand behind. Um, that's kind of a huge one for me. And then, uh, (laughs) just rattling off a list. Uh, and then the last is that, uh, I think, I think that millennials have this, this desire of seeking validation in both the professional and personal world. So I'm like an advice seeker and, uh, extremely, but also want to like like survey the room and get a bunch of head nods to know that like I'm on the right track. Right, 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 right. Like I'm on the right track. It's the, it's that participation trophy. It's that like need to have someone acknowledge like you're on the right path. You're doing a good job. Like you're going to get it. Spot on. Spot on. Yeah. I, I feel that. Yeah. I think that's like a huge part of, I don't know if it comes from this era of um not being what our parents necessarily wanted us to be Mm -hmm. Uh, or like this narrative of um you know like we've we're 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 doing something that's different and not maybe like a status or like a like a stereotypical job and like just want to make sure we're on the right track or or what, but I don't know. I think, I think validation in general is like such a huge, 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 huge millennial thing. Yes. And I think that, um, 
It's funny you mentioned loving startup culture. It's absolutely something that I find fascinating. And I, I work for a recruiting company that deals with a lot of startups and have seen kind of the last um, now almost seven years I've worked there so long. That's the most unmillennial thing about me is I've had the <laughs> same job for seven years. But um, just seeing like startup culture really explode, excuse me, now um, the amount of money being put into the amount of companies it's being put into. And like, I've been on site, not at a ton of companies, but at a bunch and kind of the level that they um, almost, it's kind of weird, but like physically appreciate their employees, you know, like they have such cool offices and they have such cool like perks and stuff. But it's interesting because I think it's not a dentist office, but does the dentist office have better like healthcare and like benefits than some of the startups? Like maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But um, it's funny that like the traditional kind of benefits and stuff, I think millennials are less focused on. And then it's a lot of more like a focus on like the perks and all the like, can you get a haircut at work? Or like, will someone take your dry cleaning to the dry cleaners? And I think it's really interesting. I don't think either is like good or bad, but it's interesting that um, you mentioned enjoying like the startup uh, work kind of feel because it's definitely like it's a very like curtailed not curtailed uh, curated experience I would say it is so like I've definitely stayed at places a smidge longer because it offers this level of flexibility that you cannot get from maybe a company that could offer pension checks like 10 years later right like I'm, I'm i'm not interested i want absolutely yeah of it totally at all like i'm very down with that there's sushi fridays that sounds really good yeah. to me but you know and and maybe we'll get into this in a in a bit but it's like i i am very focused to like round out my life and try to to figure out a way in which i can be both happy at work and happy in my personal life. <clears throat> and I think that's mm -hmm. a little bit unique because I feel like our parents and our parents' parents were like, the job is the job. Right. And you, and you do that job and you make that money because you're supporting your family and you're supporting, you know, these, these just your very minute e ecosystem of like, raising children and doing that thing. And the reality right. is, is that we're, we're in the greater were, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And it's really transition transitioned those three generations. So I think if your parents are even close to my parents age, like they are um, baby boomers. And before them is, um, my grandparents are like the, well, they're different generations because my grandparents were very different ages, but I think it's like the lost generation. Um, and I think that, you know, they had uh, what we consider like very traditional American families. Um, and then rolling to like my parents' generation, like a lot of people still did. Um, you know, I come from, my parents are still married, like a very like heteronormative, like very gender divide family. Um, and I think that, uh, for me, it was like, oh, like, I don't want any of this, but also like some of it was a really good example. Um, 
I completely lost my train of thought in the middle of that sentence. But I think that uh, like moving jobs for us isn't a big deal, where for our parents, it was a huge deal um, for other for other reasons than kind of what we're experiencing. And I think the idea of like, hey, you know, I, I don't like the the ethics of this company, so I don't want to work here. Like that is not it's still not everyone's bag. Um but that was, I think, not such a big deal a generation ago. I, I can, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I think that there was like swallow the pill, like do what you need to do mentality um, that begot yeah. the things that our parents did. Now, I would also argue, <clears throat> and I will always argue this, that our parents never had the accessibility to this level of technology ever, yeah, ever. Like, are you kidding me? Like, right. if you would rewind right. this 10 years ago, sorry, 50 years ago, um, and <laughs> all of a sudden there's these different jobs that are automated and, 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 and you're able to, to work from your house and, you don't think that moms would, would take advantage of more of that? I mean, I would even argue that once the right. once the the phenomenon of pyramid scheme jobs came into play for moms, moms flocked to it. Because that's a that's a way to make yeah. money and there's actually um Yeah. There's a really good podcast called um Oh no, I totally just lost that too. I'll look it up. Um, there's really a podcast about pyramid schemes, but it talks about like why they specifically targeted the women that they targeted, oh, which is sure. really sad. Um, cause it is very, cal- it's very calculated and it still is. Um, but also super interesting to kind of hear about. And I think, um, I liked hearing about um kind of the science almost which is terrible behind it's called the dream the podcast is called the dream um but just how they go about recruiting people how they go about like setting up that whole process and it is very much marketed towards like hey you can sell essential oils to all your friends like and be home to make dinner at five which is very much like if not my mom's generation like definitely her mom's do you remember do you remember have it all like yeah, my yeah, oh, my, yeah. my, my yeah. mom was an That's Amway. Betsy DeVos. Like that created <laughs> that created her oh, personal boy. financial and also like if we're all being really real, like working jobs like provides so much self worth to yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just, you know, I think a lot of people still do a lot of the pyramid scheme stuff because it seems like fun. It seems like something they can do with their friends, but it also does provide that like validation and that um, kind of like good support system from other people selling. Cause it's all your upline and your downline. Um, it's still very much a real thing. I totally, I remembered what I was going to say earlier, which is that, um, you know, we're kind of the first generation that's, that's more and more choosing to either delay or completely ignore a lot of the prior, um, kind of big life events. Uh, you know, we're not getting married as much. We're not having kids as much, or we're waiting a really long time for either of those things. And kind of with that, which I think for a lot of people is a choice for a lot of people, it's not, um, you know, our parents had a little more choice in that, but not really, but they're also probably the first generation that 
were really unable to rely on family for like childcare. And I'm very far removed to being able to rely on any family for that. I don't live anywhere near my family, but, you know, thinking about like my grandparents, like they could rely on different family members to help with childcare so that if my grandma did want to work, like they could sort it out. Um, my mom and dad moved away from their families, so that it was daycare or bust. And for me, it's the same thing, but I think it's, it's definitely made like, especially for women, like made working different for each generation based on, you know, do you live in your, in the same house as your grandparents a lot of times, or do you live like far away from them? Um, we've just kind of continued to drift further and further apart from our families. I mean, I couldn't imagine, or actually I could use this as an example, like, as a young, I don't know, how old was I? Maybe 17, 18 years old. Like my first sales job uh, was selling Cutco knives. Are you familiar with Cutco? <laughs> and yes. plot twist. Like yes, yes. The, the pyramid scheme of Cutco is like, go ahead and rely on those friends and family. Like, go, you know, they love you. Like, this is a great opportunity to give that pitch and, you know, they're going to just buy all the knives and then they're, <laughs> then they're going to talk to their friends about the knives and they'll buy the knives. And as soon as I got into it, I was like, I don't fucking like my family. So right. <laughs> like, this isn't going to work. This isn't right. Gonna work right. Really well at all. This isn't so going to work. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, my mom was, um, my mom worked, but like she was home a lot too. And she fell prey to a few door to door salespeople. And one of them, I think it, it must've been Cutco. Um, they had those scissors and he cut a penny with it. And I was like, so obsessed. I was like, we need these scissors, mom. You're like, and oh, I've, damn, you know, those scissors are sharp. Whoa. Yeah. I was like, those scissors cut a penny into like a weapon. Like we need these. And my mom was like, oh my God, fine. Whatever. And they're like, for only a low price of $595 spread over six months. Right. Yeah. For four installments of $39.95 plus $39.95 shipping. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh man. She, um, my favorite, one of my favorite stories about my mom is, um, when my mom and dad first got married, which was in the early eighties, mid eighties, um, they lived in this tiny little house and it, it was still really common to have door to door salespeople. And somebody came by selling vacuums and they had all hardwood floors. And she's like, Oh, we don't have any carpet. And he's like, uh, she's like, okay, bye. And shut the door. <laughs> but she's like, you know what? That was true. But then we moved and I just kept saying that. And I was like, oof, what a baller. No kidding. It's like, you really do find no a time. way. They're like, hi, I'm here for internet. And you're like, I don't do the internet. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm a Luddite. <laughs> I don't need this. Exactly. Yeah. I remember I had a call at work one time about, um, it was a guy selling, I think, toner. And I was for printers and I was like, oh, uh, we print like 10 pages a month. And it's usually like people printing recipes to like make for dinner. Like we don't keep paper files. Everything's in the cloud. And he's like, what's the cloud? And I swear, I just like heard it, like the whole room went like silent. And I was like, oh, buddy, like I will not be the one to tell you your job's not going to exist 100%. in like five years. But I was like, you know, I think we're good. Thanks but so much. But here's the thing, like. And I will challenge this, and this will be part of like so much of the narrative of my feedback of you know millennial culture and and like jobs presented and and the progression of of a lot of what we think becomes irrelevant 
won't still for a very long time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think, I mean, there's like the, the last I worked here in Portland, I worked for, um, an IT hardware and software sales company and it's cold calling. Like it, it is the pursuit of effing dreams to just call up folks that don't want to freaking talk to you at all. And you just put out your best self and you are absolutely selling toner. You're selling toner. You're selling mice. Yeah. You're selling the ones that are on the computer, not the animals. You're selling uh, laptops, desktops, <laughs> maybe the I animals, mean, honestly, anything fall off a truck.com. Like it's whatever you can get for people to buy. And I think I have a very yeah. visceral or emotional connection to like, I am a 15 year salesperson. And I think that there's you know, a lot of FUD, you know, an acronym for like fear and something and whatever doubt. Um, there's a lot of FUD about like salespeople and like the type of salesperson. But I, I, I mean, the, the good salespeople are just knowing that like people like to buy from people they like. People like to buy from people they trust. And um and I think yeah. that that's like a classic I, I think, American uh, thing to be like, hi, my name is Jamie. I sell this. Do you want to buy this? Great. We should make a deal. <laughs> it's so classic. Right. Yeah. I had that experience um, when I bought my bike. Um, I knew what I wanted. I was buying a new bike and it was... Um, pretty normal bike that a lot of different um, dealers had. So I just called every dealership down the I-5 corridor that sold Hondas and asked them for the out the door price for that bike. And people were so A, rude and B, weird on the phone. Cause I'm like, I'm not driving from here to Seattle, popping into all these different shops to ask them. And uh, it just, the widest range of prices, which I thought was really funny. And I was glad that I was calling so many because it ended up being, I think I called eight shops and it ranged like three grand on like a $9,000 bike. (laughs) And I was like, what, what, what's the, like, I know what the cost is from Honda. Like, why are you adding so much extra to like take it out of a box? But, um, just the weird like toxic masculinity of like oh we'll put a bow on it for you and like make it look real nice and i'm like i want to write it home like i don't want to package it up like i'm ready to um, I'm ready to take it was really right back on the streets like easy. <laughs> yeah it was and it was really funny and i think um when i bought uh i bought a car a couple years later and i had to do that in person because i needed something really specific And I went to one shop and just like the guy, I felt like he had like a book that was like how to sell a car to millennials, like under the table. And was like trying to read it like between his feet and it was not subtle. And I was like, dude, like, just be, just be a normal person. Like quit trying to tell me what I want to hear. Cause I don't think you know what I want to hear. 100%. And you're actually kind of a, an insider knowledge of like dealer culture and the effect of millennials and millennials thereafter, I would bet Bitcoin hella money on that dealerships will not exist. 
in like a <laughs> maybe by the end of our lifetime because it's it's so funny because yeah, oh, like sure. you me and everybody else like I've already picked out what I want like assuming that it works and right if you go at a dealership like it works then there like I don't even need to test right drive. right right I need to test drive the, the new car that I have now I literally walked in. He's like, let's go on a test drive. And I was like, unnecessary. No, I, didn't I don't care. I've already picked it out. I don't want it. I don't want to yeah. do, I uh-huh. don't want to sit in a car with you for, for 25 minutes with you pointing in each direction <laughs> of where I'm going. I no, I've already got it. So I've already figured out how much I want to barter yeah. you with. Yeah. I've already thought about the rebates. I've already done about all that stuff. And even, and even with all of my research and foregoing the the test drive and and all that stuff like I was still there for three hours and it honestly like I, my hair got more and more gray on the yeah. sides like I was like there's I, I never want to go through this experience again yeah I, would I have think loved it um, fill it out online like <laughs> yes yeah I think that we are approaching uh being able to order cars online I know you can for some stuff but I don't, I don't know how dealerships, the way they're set up, are going to survive. It's miserable. And I think um, I noticed it when I was renovating a house and we had to buy – well, and actually, we just had to buy a new dishwasher. But buying appliances, like you, you can't really order a lot of them online because you need to set up um, installation for a lot of them. And you can't order appliances for the most part on Amazon. They have like a really weird selection of stuff. Um reviews are like such a fucking mess across like home depot lowe's like all the big box stores and it's like i just want to buy a fridge i don't want to go talk to someone about the fridge like i would rather die than go and talk to a salesperson about this whatever it is um and i think like cars appliances there's a couple other things that i've encountered where i'm like please lord someone make a startup where you can just like post real reviews, pros and cons, like what's going to break on it the fastest and then ship it to my house and don't bother totally. me. Totally. 100%. Like someone right. take it to the bank. I'm telling you, this is a this is a copyright conversation. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have the copyrights to it, but I <laughs> but the, the dealership thing is a very real thing that I've thought of where it's like especially here where I live in Portland and like the our governor is like put into place the um the goals for like zero emissions and like electric vehicles and, and, and plug-in hybrids Mm -hmm. and how those are the only types of cars that will be able to be purchased in this, in the city. Right. So the, the outside of Mm -hmm. the greater Portland area, by all means, you can get your Ford F three fifties, like whenever you want. Um, But Mm -hmm. in the, in the greater part of the city, like you're going to be forced if you want, easy accommodations to purchase a new vehicle it's going to be one of these things and like people just don't know what they don't know about this stuff so there's going to be like i mean yeah over the phone consultations or like everybody wants to be remote and do from their you know have conversations from their own home and it's like this could be an online business like to literally sell vehicles yeah. it could be an online business like yeah I'm here. Yes. For, I'm here for it because I think people do make well, up their minds before they good. They made they made up their mind, period. Before they go in, yeah. Well, and I and I think if they, I ended up using a sales guy who 
was mostly fine. He had his moments. He called me M, which I don't like anyway. And I'm like, don't nickname people. Oh my God, that's so good to know because I'm very quick to to nickname. So now I know M's out. Got it. So Emmy, Emmy, is Emmy in the, is (laughs) Emmy available? I don't, I don't have any nicknames. It's pretty bad. I know. You work on a good one. Well, Emmy, Emmy's Emmy, out too. Emmy I is the next. I did that like perfect option. If you don't like M, then it's Emmy. Okay. <laughs> I did Emmy. I did Emmy when I was in like high school. When I was like an emo um, band photographer, that was my nickname. Oh, yeah. So that's fine. That harkens Classic. back to a better time. Classic. Um, but I will say the second guy was much better. And I had like actual questions to ask him because I bought a hybrid and I hadn't had one before. And I just didn't really know and didn't bother to look anything up. Um, but I had stupid questions like, do they still plug into a wall? And he's like, no. Um, but he uh, he was super helpful, but he was also super smarmy. And now, let's see, it would be like almost two years later. No, not two years later, like a year later. Um, I got an email from him on my personal email. He had taken his whole Rolodex when he left that uh, dealership and he became a real estate agent and sent an email, like a horribly written email from an email account that was like him and his wife are doing real estate together. But it was like her name is what pops up for the email. And it was like, hey, you might know me from my time at like blah, blah dealership. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I really wanted to call and be like, who is this hack that stole my email from a business and took it to a new business and is now emailing me? I love love this different perspective. And I hope that we continue to play. But I hope that we continue to play off of this because your experience with receiving that message, in my mind, as soon as you said it, I was just like, oh, good for him. Like he's trying to get his clientele and like, you know, he's pursuing a different thing and he had some sort of maybe soft, maybe okay relationship with these folks. And, you know, it's like, it's just like good business practice. Like it, it is. I mean, it's the same thing as like, when I went from tech sales, like IT hardware and software and moved into what I'm doing now, which is electric vehicle charging stations, hopefully the audience hasn't fallen asleep yet. Um, I have hit up all the folks that I used to work with, but yeah, I would also argue that I held on mainly to the folks where I was just like, yeah, that's John and that's Craig and that's David and that's Jennifer. And that's like folks right. that I, like bought a lot of shit from me, um, yes. and hit them up again to be just like, I don't do that anymore. So like, do your employees drive electric vehicles? Um, yeah, but that's because I bought hustle. one car and I, I mean, right. And I never saw him again. <laughs> exactly. So crazy. So crazy. And I just like, and we can get into maybe now is a good st- time to start talking about you being an extrovert, me being an introvert. Sure. So like when people like steal my email and then send me weird shit later, I'm like, you are violating my privacy and my boundaries. And you're like, steal that stuff. Take it with you. <laughs> No, I mean, but I get, I get very like offended when people, um, especially my personal email. I'm like, why are you, why do you think you can send me an email? I would, I would argue, I would argue that being an, being an extrovert and as it relates to business is, is not mutually exclusive to like 
being a fucking weirdo or like being too extra or like being too like, um, I feel like you're going to want to hear from me because we've, we've, we've met before. So you certainly like, you're part of, you're part of this ecosystem that I've built. Like some, like there's a certain level Mm -hmm. of maybe entitlement or, or ego associated to, I think definitely a level of extroverts. Um, I, I hope, I hope very dearly that my level of extrovert has a much higher level level of like empathy and, and human awareness, right? Like I I know for sure. (laughs) Like if, if I'm like, Hey, you know, at a, at a bar, at a, had a business meeting. Hey, we should, you know, whatever, whatever it is like, hi, I'm Jamie. Like, do you want to have a conversation? And their body language, I can get immediately if they want to continue or don't continue immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, um, that really like separates extroverts and then like almost like rude For sure. Cause you can, I just think like, reading that is is challenging but it's really not that hard and that was actually an interesting conversation I had with a lot of people after some of the kind of like me too revelations where they're like well what if they just like didn't know and I was like well I think they did because it's not that hard like children can understand I mean there's so many layers right like extroverts are not the same as narcissists and narcissists are not the same as like Yes. Inappropriate. And like, like, it's just, it doesn't, that's kind of one of where this really ties in very deeply to the greater conversation, which is like, we, we like to catch all everything. We like to make very broad statements or very sincere and what we think is maybe right or comfortable, you know, like definitive statements about groups or people or things or types of, and I have like a very, very huge passion for not doing that. (laughs) Like, because the reality is, is that like, there's gonna be the car dealership where you're like, that person literally makes me want to pull my hair out, bought the car anyways, because I needed it. And then the same type of person that's in sales at lush body. I don't know why I figured lush. I don't know. That was a weird breakout, but regardless, <laughs> like still- I want to see where this goes. Cause I have my thoughts about, I have my thoughts about lush like, salespeople too. Still a salesperson, like different situation, like maybe yeah. different comfort level, like, but it is different. Like you can't even group sales. You can't even group white people. You can't even group like there's not, there, there are stereotypes, and I think that's what a lot of this podcast is doing a really good job of, which is, like, you're bringing a lot of different people onto this that have a lot of different perspectives that were born in the same day and age. We're not experiencing things the same way. We're not. No, not at all. And I think it's been interesting 
doing mostly in-person interviews because that's as an introvert more my speed ironically um and even that I don't like believe a- you. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like I, being able to see people like puts me more at ease. I feel like I'm better in person, but anyway, um, even doing that, like in a small, it's, it's super helpful. It's a college town, but, um, it's been challenging finding folks that will like commit and make plans and follow through. Cause everyone's a millennial and kind of, you know, in the wind, but, um, yes. it's been really cool to see like how broad the experience is just in this small town and just of like people I know or like tertiarily know, I haven't really talked to people that I have no connection with much yet, um, which is kind of a goal for the second season. But uh, yeah, it's been really interesting. Like people I feel like I know fairly well talking to them about millennial stuff. I'm like, Oh shit. Like we did not have the same experience at all with student loans or uh, I don't know, experiencing, you know, sexism or whatever um totally. it's been very wide ranging which has been really cool no no doubt i th- i think i think if there's one single largest like thing that is consistent with millennials that you brought up though is like it's the bailout culture like it's yeah it is the ability to fully commit a plan six hours before and to like get home and be like, yes. I'm literally going to make up that I'm going to walk my goldfish today. And for that to be just like yeah. completely accepted, like, okay, cool, honey. Like, I hope your goldfish has like a super nice walk. Like, thank you so much. Like, glad, glad to see you earlier. It's like, we don't care. Like, we just we yeah, just bail. Right. We, we can bail at any moment, any time. And it's just, it's just part of the whole thing. <laughs> like. Yeah. Yeah. It does. Um, it's interesting trying to do something like a podcast where I have like a very real and looming deadline each week that I try and stick to, to get my show out on Thursdays. And I swear, as soon as I was like, I'm going to record like three episodes and be so far ahead, like two and a half out of three people canceled and it all worked out. Like it's all been great. Everyone's been wonderful and stuff happens for me and for them. But it's funny that like literally as soon as I was like, yes, I am getting ahead. Like I'm going to have this nailed down, like no more Wednesday night panic editing everything together. That's like the only experience I yeah, have like, had. So, um, so cute of you, you know, to like think ahead and like have all these plans. And then it's just like, right. oh no, no. Yeah. yeah. Like ha, ha, ha. everybody else has got like their own agendas and that own different new opportunity that just came up. That's going to be really easy to just like reschedule, like class. Like we, we're, yeah. And, and, and honestly, like, I don't mind. I, I really don't. And I think yeah, that no. there's like, I think the folks that like, you're like the closest with, like, those are like the, the on times or five minutes or 10 minutes behind people. But like any yes. person that you would consider to be an acquaintance of any sort, it's like, you just accept it. You've almost yourself have a backup plan yeah. for yeah. whatever you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, I've heard Portland has very similar, like, culture to Bellingham, where I live. Um, It is a very flaky town. 
it is a very flaky town to the point where like Seattle has a Seattle freeze. And I actually think it's worse here because there's way fewer people. And at some point, like five years ago, after I graduated from college, I was like, all my friends are gone. I have one really good friend. I'm usually dating somebody or multiple people or whatever. And I think I'm good. Like, I don't think I need to fuck around trying to make more friends because it's just like too hard to cultivate something that will be consistent here and not worth the drama. Boy, boy, you're right. Especially like growing out of the twenties to the thirties and, and beyond like it. Yeah. That change is, is, is huge. Yeah. And I think now that like I'm in a, you know, kind of a long-term relationship and um, helping uh, raise Bill's daughter, like half the time when we have her, like, it's definitely like, I've always been like an old person and like a very like homebody, like making my nice dinner for myself and then like watching TV and going to bed. But now it's even more like I have the best excuse, which is I'm like, oh, I got to make dinner for the kids. So I can't go do that thing. I don't want to do anyway. It's just become even more so that I'm just do 28. I'm going to, I'm going to hundred, you know, reverse interview you on this one. Like, do you love having that excuse? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm stoked for the day that she's like sick home from school and I can be like, oh, I have to work from home and maybe just take take a couple hours to just make sure she's doing okay. But just like go watch, uh, you know, Pixar 100%. movies with her. That's that's the dream right there. I have no fonder memories of my mom. This is terrible than when I was sick. And my mom would probably say the same thing because I was way nicer to her when I was sick. But she'd rent all the movies we weren't supposed to be watching, make me a beanbag fort in the basement, and we'd just watch oh TV God. all day. It bean was a dream. Beanbag chairs. Beanbag yeah. chairs. That was, that was my childhood. I was thinking the other day about how weird – I grew up in eastern Washington, and everybody has a, an actual basement, like a finished yeah, basement because totally. it's hot. And uh, ours was – and I was trying to think of this the other day. So go downstairs. There was a pantry slash utility room that was not finished. There was a crawl space under the stairs. There was all of my sister's like playhouse shit. So like a weird Fisher Price like door and all of our like dress up stuff and a stove my dad made us when we were little and just like toys on toys on toys. Then there was a couch, a table, a bike in like one of those stationary bike stand things then like our main TV setup, then a fireplace, then a guest bed, then my mom's like sewing stuff, like all in one room. And I'm like, was that just like our weird family? Or did everyone just cram like any extra thing that needed to be in a room into their weird basement in the mid 90s? And I I think it was everybody. Well, so I have two things on that. Number one, oh my God, we grew up really similarly. Um, <laughs> you had a weird basement I mean, too. Sim- very, very similarly. Um, but I think our experience being very Pacific Northwesty, you know, like Eastern Washington, like a smidge more rural than you know, like we weren't brought up in like city life. So I think that's like it's not unique. There's many people that grew up like that, but you can't deny that like 
that upbringing is different than what the maybe the 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 privileged millennial kind of culture is like begotten um but yes that's for sure and i still because i have a lot of the stereotypical millennial like political and social beliefs that like my parents would say i was they actually told my ap government and politics teacher my senior year of high school that i was adopted or like an alien because I have the opposite political beliefs of them, like in every way possible. And no one really knows like right. where it came from or started. But yeah, other than that, yes. Yeah. Um, but I'm with you on like, we, so like little, little tidbit on uh, baby Jamie life. Like, so I grew up 30 miles West of Portland in a very, on the Oregon side. On the Washington side. side or the Oregon side. And Okay. Folks will know it because if you go to the beach, you're going to end up crossing it. So it's in this banks slash like kind of forest grove area. Like, you know, I came from like a farming family, um, agricultural farmers. Mm -hmm. The first house I ever, you know, lived in as as a child was 120 years old. Um, And yeah, it was like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was my the master bedroom on the bottom for the parent for my parents, and then the upstairs was basically like one gigantic L shaped room, uh, and we had like barns and uh, grain bins and like and this chicken coop that like no longer had chickens and it was converted into uh, a play area for like me and my sisters and and all this kind of stuff and it and it feels so like even just talking about it makes me feel so much even further away from like where so many of the people that I talk to today have ever experienced in their entire life. Mm-hmm. Like I rode my, the first time yeah. I ever like, I, the, I cheated in the motorcycle world. Like the first time I ever rode a motorcycle, I was four. Like that was the way that we got around to right. like, change irrigation or like, that these are like modes of transportation to like work to do work yeah yeah i rode quads when i was really little um because that's like how we got to the bus exactly and it's funny because um i don't even know if this conversation meant to ever kind of get here but like this cross-pollination of like my upbringing and today's day and age like because of the way that I've been brought up, like, I feel like I'm constantly Mm -hmm. catching up. Like, I don't really feel like in or on top of it or like that, that I've gotten a grip on it. Like I'm almost like, I, I still to this day feel like I'm pretending to be even like in this very fast paced world. Like I, I, it turns out I'm really good at it but I've never forgotten where I'm from and I know where I came from and like what it took to like get from there to here. And I'm really appreciative of that because now that I'm in my thirties, like I'm amazed time after time when, when folks that are like, you know, living in these very, very cool, very uppity, like social, social circles are just like, wow, like you're so nice. You're so kind. Like you're so polite. And I'm like, well, <laughs> like that, that's, that's how I was raised. Like, 
I, I don't know. It's very, it's very interesting. I feel like I've got like the black and white world, you know, of very, very um, intense contrasts of like what was, you know, zero to, to 15 to what we got like after that. It, yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, I have had a really weird kind of culture shock thing of um, since Trump got elected and people in Bellingham, it's kind of a liberal echo chamber, which I've talked a lot about on the podcast. But, you know, folks that were genuinely like, oh, I didn't know people were so yeah. racist. And I'm like, eh, excuse me. And I think coming from a more rural area and going back there a lot and even just driving through all of Washington to like get to where my parents live. Um, I'm like, y'all need to get out more. Like this is everywhere, but here, this is not like a unique thing to a few people. Like this is most people. And I think having so many stories from when I was in high school or just little stories from like when I've gone back home for Christmas or whatever is helpful. But I'm also like, I wish I, I don't wish I lived there cause I would hate it, but um, it's interesting like being kind of pulled between these two spaces of, you know, I don't have interesting political conversations with people that live here most of the time cause they think the exact same things as me. And like, you know, it's totally. just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I agree. Sure. Yeah. Where there I'm like, why are you like this? And can actually like get into it with people, which most of the time I don't actually want to do, but every now and then it would be interesting. I think that I've maintained like there's certain just um, family friends and I guess direct family and partners that I've had that, that I I've been drawn to, especially because they've had, not exactly the same, but similar ish kind of upbringings of kind of this like mm-hmm. really, I mean, it's, it's a little bit classically ignorant, but very sweet, like very sweet family. Yeah. Life. Very salt yeah, of the earth. You know, like they are what they are. And, and I, yeah. I, I hope this doesn't come across as like being any sort of like ego at all, because I'm, I'm really telling it how it is, which is, when, when I get to be around folks that don't normally get to be around, around me or people like me, like I've had really phenomenal experiences. I've also had really, really bad ones, but it's also folks that aren't giving a damn to get to know me. But if there's some sort of, some sort of like stickiness or thread that's like enforcing that, need like I've been mm-hmm. so so pleasantly surprised but again like coming from the the very early parts of this conversation like I do give I'm an extrovert that gives a damn like I'm here for it like I'm here mm-hmm. to like they're gonna tell me a bunch of stuff I don't want to hear and I'm gonna tell them yeah. how I feel about it in a way that I hope is like respectful and we're not gonna agree but like I'm still going to conversate with them and I'm going to make it work because I just, I want to make it work. I want to make it work really bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless you. <laughs> I have you. some of the, I have some patience for it and I, I've tried a lot harder in the last couple of years because I know, you know, getting in 
Facebook fights with people are is not particularly helpful. Well, it's not, but I'm I also not going to walk just, into a Trump rally. Like, let's be real. Like, I'm no, talking about like you know no. showing up for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's interesting too because I think um, I've met some uh, where I actually fall probably not. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I kind of fall outside of like what some more kind of like militant. Um, I guess just liberals that I hang out with are like, Hey, like, you know, if you have family members um, who won't condone like what's going on politically in the United States, like you just like, shouldn't go home. And I'm like, well, would we say that? Like, it's just not, I don't know. That's not how I was raised. Like for the most part, we avoid talking about politics in front of each other. Um, cause I think most people don't want to hear it right now, which, um, I get, but is not super acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, but this idea of just like, well, just don't go then I'm like, uh, that's my family. And like, no, I don't agree with them. But I also know like in their communities, they have different feelings about individuals and groups of people than they probably vote towards on a national scale, which I've seen a lot of folks that live in rural communities that have, um, especially farming communities that have migrant workers, they somehow don't associate those folks that they know that they see at the grocery store, that they see at the coffee shop that they hang out with, um, with like, Hey, ice is like coming to get those people. Like they do not like that line does not connect. Um, but like at Thanksgiving, I I can't, can't. at, at Thanksgiving, I can't be like, Oh, Hey, like fuck those people. Right. I can tell you with, 100% certainty coming from a person who lived in the agricultural community. Like my, my family farm hired, hired uh, migrant workers for most of, of the things that they needed to do. Like whether it was blueberries, strawberries, corn, it's hard work. Like, like, I mean, there, yeah, there's, there's yeah. absolutely no doubt in my mind. And it's very interesting that, you know, politically, like it seems to not really align when it's just like, oh, cool. Like you're super down with it if it like benefits your business, but you're not, if it like benefits a human being, like I have a very big problem with that. Right. Like, very big problem. Yeah. Right. I have a huge problem with it. I also have compassion for people that like don't seem to understand how all of that like loops together. And like having conversations about that. I had a conversation. I've become slightly more com- confrontational as I've gotten older. I think my parents and my family in general, like take me slightly more seriously, which is fun. Um, but I've started kind of, my parents have a lot of thoughts I don't agree with. And I've started uh, subtly trying to rebut some of the things that they say, because it really bugs me. And I just decided like, you know, these are my parents. It's not um, like some of my dad's family that's, uh, you know, I see them once a year. Like, I don't want to make a bad time of it to be like, hey, like, we're at someone's funeral. Like, I'm going to get in a fight with you about uh, gun control right now. Um, but with my parents, I feel more like, oh, hey, like, I should call them out on this. And like, I should confront them about this a little bit because no one else is doing that. And I don't have much to I think lose. that's the truth. And coming from like a 15-year professional person that talks, um, I've just really grown to believe that the way in which you speak to people matters 
a lot. So, you know, like whether I'm at an ex-partner's place or, you know, whatever, and, and a racist comment is made, maybe I'll end up saying something like, I personally do not appreciate what you said at all. And even just said exactly how I said it, where it's, right. I sound funny when I talk, period. Like, it sounds like I'm a, about to tell a joke. <laughs> um, so maybe that adds a little bit of calmness to the conversation. But, you know, it's like, I don't want to come at that person in a place to where all of a sudden it's 10 against one, me being the one, and now I'm uncomfortable and now I'm ganged up on. But I I don't want what is said to go unnoticed. I I also morally cannot do that. Yeah. And I think that's something, language is something, and I've I've talked quite a bit about this, is like it's moving really, really fast. And there's stuff that I will choose to correct with my friends or with my partner that I would not choose to correct like with my grandpa, but there's stuff I will correct my grandpa saying because <laughs> it's so bad. And I think it's, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, is this worth the conversation I'm going to have to have about it? Like maybe, maybe not, but I'm going to have it anyway. Oof. Yeah. Language is hard. And I think it's one of the things that, um, you can choose to let really bother you or you can choose to like try and call people out where you can and like try and just help people kind of grow and learn. And most of the time, if you don't know the person, they're going to be pretty confrontational. I have found, Um, but I feel like it's always worth doing because I feel like they go home and they're like, damn it. They were right. No doubt. I looked it up on urban dictionary and they were correct. I mean, hot damn, like the call out culture is so real and it's, and it's brought yeah. immense benefit where it's like, don't you fucking dare try to make statements like that ever again. Like we will disown yeah. you. Like you are disowned. We we're not yeah. here for it. You're shit. Like yeah. not okay. Not okay at all. Yeah. And then it also yeah. brings Absolutely. to light like the you know, these have to be segmented into very specific conversations because there's also folks that like we make mistakes and like we say the wrong thing or the wrong, like we, we mess up, we mess up. And I think there's also something to be said about Mm -hmm. like you're tarred and feathered for like fucking up on accident when it's not what you meant, you know? So I, it's like, I, I, I hope that we try to bring things into like, I want so much more truth. Like we're in such a place of like, media media is just out of control like we really don't know what's like truth and and what's factual and it's you know we really should be striving to find that out and to be taking it into um into such a a a place of of not making it like some sort of catch-all conversation of instances um they're they're unique right and and i don't think I don't think, I think we have to be careful. I think that this, like, I think that this catch all conversation stuff is, uh, is, is, is not good. No, no, no. And I think that that, like, that's kind of what, ironically, what started, um, me thinking about the podcast is like, uh, I think people make 
right now it will evolve um but right now so many sweeping generalizations about millennials that i have not found very many of them to be <coughs> particularly true for me or anyone i know and i was like it's such a it's a huge generation and the experiences cannot be more different and trying to lump in together of like they're whiny and like i don't like them i was exactly. like exactly no, i mean no. if if we're being totally i don't know data-driven or um, um, looking at things with like a much broader scope, like let's be real. Like we're a generation just as the generation before us was one generation before us, before them was one, et cetera. We, we, we are constantly nature nurture. We are constantly like adapting to these environments. Um, you know, if our parents had the same level of, technology that we do today well then the whole fucking thing goes you know out of whack like it just so happens that like we are the generation that has all this shit um and and i think i am distressed like i'm truly distressed at like i i work in the tech field i work in emerging technologies like part of what i'm supposedly going to be supporting soon is like autonomous vehicles and like all this stuff and media and social media and people are like driving just like so much fear and, um, and expectations and future thinking of stuff. That's like, it's just all feels so fast. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really the hard autonomous, to grip on all this stuff. Yeah. The autonomous stuff is interesting because I think, um, uh, I don't, do you know what the company Kitty Hawk is? Mm -mm. Have you heard of that company? Okay. It's um, uh, Larry Page from Google um, started a company to create an autonomous flying car. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a lot of money because it's Larry Page. And um, they created a, uh, it looks more like kind of a weird like hovercraft. You can look it up. Um, they had a cool article in New York Times, but talking about um, uh, they can fly over lakes now. But I was like, who is going to get in an autonomous flying car? And, like, that's insane. And not in our, I really don't think in our lifetime. Like, autonomous flying car, not in our lifetime. Autonomous car, yeah, here in our lifetime, right. for sure. And I like, yeah. We'll run you over if you're a person of color because it can't see that you're a person. <laughs> I'm done but here. Like there's but so here. many complexities that go into autonomous vehicles. Like mini nerd out for like some of those listeners that give a damn about that. Like you, there's going to be, there's going to have to be a major infrastructure upgrade to support autonomous vehicles. Vehicles only know where they are if there are stripes on the road that tell them that they're in a lane. So think of like those streets in your neighborhood. Like for me, Lombard, Lombard street in Portland, like there's no stripes. There's no like center divider fucking reflectors. Like honestly on a rainy day, I'm driving in any lane. I'm just trying to get home. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no clue. Yeah. I was, I was just in LA and my partner was talking about they will 
um, shift the lanes around when they like add more and it will fuck up like the way they've done the grading so that you're driving like against the grain or like at a weird angle on the grain of the road versus like where it is striped. So hopefully it would just follow the stripes, but he's like, if the stripes wash off, which they do, you can't like, you don't know where you are because it's, you're not going like the way the road feels like it should be going. And I was like, that's the most horrifying Bottom. thing I've heard a long time. So talk about like, you know, the accessibility or where autonomous cars are going to be like, they're going to remain in like cities and metros and things of that nature, which will require like these cities to keep the roads up. Like if the stripes aren't, if the stripes are all dinged out or non-effective, like, People are going to die. People are going to die, period. Hard stop. Here, yeah, here, I don't know about Portland. Here, we have buttons. We don't have stripes. Like, the buttons make up stripes, but they're not, I don't think the roads are striped anywhere. Interessante. Yeah, which when I came here, I was like, what are all these things? What are all these lumps in the road? Because... (laughs) Uh, in Eastern Washington, like, you have boggle? a plow. Is it just boggle? Like every- <laughs> yeah, I was like, and it annoyed me. I'm like, because it's like a rumble strip, but it's above, not below. And I was like, this is so weird. And I realized after a while, like, we never have to plow. Because in Eastern Washington, it, they would just peel off the road, like those dot candies that came on paper when you were a kid. <laughs> like, that would be a plow going after these buttons but here you don't plow so it doesn't matter and it rains so much you'd be restriping every three days can we do so you have to have the can we just comedy break really quick and can we agree that every single one of those little little nubs should be like just a googly eye yeah <laughs> or look like those candies from when we were a kid like an ombre of like pink i think they were like pink orange and um yellow maybe Flat on. yeah I, that would be the dream could you could you um, imagine the aerial view oh my gosh oh so funny like rainbow bright freeway they're like is that candy and you're like nah it's seattle (laughs) yeah right yeah i don't yeah autonomous stuff's interesting and i think that it's one of those things where so many people are like that's never gonna happen but i also know like watching um i don't remember what movie i think i was watching blade runner which now has like caught up to present day and some of the shots of la i'm like that's not far away but there's all the crazy flying cars and like all this crazy shit that people really thought was going to happen. Maybe not when they made Blade Runner, but there's enough like movies and books and different media. That's like in 2020, like we will all be driving weird, like magnetic cars that just like stick to the road and like slide around. And I'm like, we're, we're not getting there. Yeah, plot twist. We're trying to convince people to get like polio vaccines. So <laughs> I know exactly. You're like, can we just can we just start with um, a consensus on like the the little things, just the little things, you know, like racism or vaccinations or like, you know, just these little things, just some yeah, little small things. things. Until you yeah, know, we have to deal in eight months with autonomous flying um, cars. Right. right. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask was, you did not go to college. It I didn't. I did not. No. I not at all. So a little bit funny. So, well, go ahead and ask what you're going to ask. Actually, No, I was just going to ask like that is that runs counter to what most millennials felt like they had to do. Um, And I think that you let's see. So you graduated, you were like out in the workforce when the um, just barely when the financial collapse completely imploded. 
Spot on. Cool. I had just graduated high school, which was also really fun. I was like, ha ha ha. Okay. Well, we'll see how this goes. I mean, I, I I mean, I think it, it kind of, so how the storyline goes is that, um, you know, I think there's decisions or decisions you don't even get to have due to kind of what the effects of your life have brought. Um, and for me, Mm -hmm. I ended up not even graduating high school. Um, uh, shout out to anyone that is from Hillsboro and, uh, went to Glencoe high school, went there until junior year. I really closed out with a bang though, junior year class president, and then dropped out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You peaked. You were like, I'm out of here. Um, So dropped out, dropped out of high school, had to lots of shenanigans going on with the parent life. um, And not, I mean, ended up getting my GED like, quite a few months later, but I really, it never crossed my mind to go to college. Cause it was like, I mean, it's sink or swim, it's survival time. So had yeah. to go off and just like immerse myself in the workforce, which, uh, you know, happened in the non luxurious things, which is like the Jamba juices and the, the subway, uh, sandwich artist shops. Um, but it's kind of funny and I I really do want to share this little tidbit on here which is that like I did have some inclination to go to college but I only wanted to go to play basketball so um (laughs) so So, like I played basketball my entire life and it was like part of the the best part of my my childhood and my adult life and playing on competitive teams and stuff and so I actually registered as a student at Portland Community College, uh, and I was going to the, the the campus that's off Killingsworth out here, and I signed up for like a full load of classes, okay, and with no intention to go. Like I hate school, but I needed to enroll so that I could try to get on the basketball team. <laughs> so <laughs> what I ended up doing. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how old were you? And you was this right after right you after, got your GED, or is this like last This year? was right after I got my GED, and I think that I was a, I think I was eighteen or nineteen, um, and so I, I get, I get on, you know, get all my classes squared away that I enroll in, and then I'm able to kind of, you know, I walk on and I try out for the the college team, and and I make it. I'm like perfect. Everything's a go, like going according to plan, so. I start playing basketball and um, I never go to class. I I didn't go to a single class and three months into, uh, into the season um, I've been like starting and playing and traveling all about to all these different colleges. And all of a sudden, like I'm at basketball practice and this gal like walks in and she's like, is there a Jamie Dyke here? And I was like, present. And she's like, you don't go to this school. Like, <laughs> like mean girl style. She's like, she doesn't even go here. Like, oh, that's, oh, that's so it funny. Did, it took them that three long. months to figure it out. But anyway, so that was my stint in college. And I was like, I literally like shook hands with everybody. I was like, really good run. We had really good run. <laughs> like, like, bravo <laughs> folks. Like 
see you later. Like took off my jersey and like dropped oh, on man. the ground and just like walked out like Breakfast Club style. It was just like boom. Yeah, like, nailed it. No, I think I think I saw this. You know, uh, I think I saw this. What's his face? Uh, what's his face? I made like knocked up and all this other like goofy comedy. I think I saw this movie. <laughs> woman drops out of high school and you know what it does remind me of um a terrible movie but the drew barrymore movie never been kissed yeah have you seen that when her brother pretends to be in high school even though he has like a full beard and like crow's feet he's like i just want to play baseball spot on like i totally get it at least you didn't try to go back to high school that would have been too much that no i really hate school but i love yeah i love learning and i i really got into like I mean, I mean, sales kind of just like saved my life. I like, as a young person, I always wanted to get paid just to be myself. So maybe if I'm lucky, eventually I'll be able to be like an influencer or something. Right. But, but as of that's the dream girl, why do you think I'm doing a podcast? (laughs) But as of now doing sales is the way that I get to get paid to be myself. I mean, that's just really all I ever wanted. Yeah, I think it's funny because I think um, I, I'm i never going to make a living doing this, but um, my partner, we did a podcast very briefly together. He's a Gen Xer and he was like, if this isn't making money, I don't want to do it. And I was like, I need passion projects. And he's like, you're dumb. <laughs> but then when I started doing this, he's like, ooh, it's really good. And he was my first guest and he's like, I'd come back. And I was like, yeah, you would because it's fun. Like, that's why I'm doing it because I want to get myself out there like you didn't have 12 blogs when you were in before you were like 16. Like you don't understand. (laughs) I need this. You're like, it just so happens that it might be a hobby that turns into a career. Don't knock my style. Yeah. 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 We can dream. It is nice to not have, Um, I have, I mean, I have no debt, right? Like I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was going to say, well, and I think um, where a lot of millennials, um, feel like there was not opportunity to not go to college and be able to like make a decent living and like live your life and get a real job. Um, it's definitely still possible. It is. I think, I think that it is as well. I also think that, uh, I will be very, very transparent with that. Unless, unless I keep title jumping, at these startups because mm-hmm. of my experience, I can't just go to like a net new, maybe corporate place. I'll give some examples of like mm. a Nike and Adidas. Uh, right. Te- I don't know. Tesla's a bad example because I live in that world. Um, I don't know. Some of these big brand names that could be huge for my career or like a big name, like they require college. They require it. Yeah. But, but coming from the recruiter side, they will say that they sometimes do not mean that. So true. It, it could. Yeah. A lot of folks, it's interesting. Like uh, we recruit a lot of tech roles and some people, it would surprise you. The people that are super stringent about having, Uh, Mm -hmm. like a computer science degree or having a computer science degree from a certain school like MIT or uh, I'm trying to think of another, like UT Austin is another good school. 
if people want to go to a good tech school. <laughs> those are the two I can think of. Um, Harvey Med. But uh, there's like those folks who will still talk to tons of people that did not go to those schools. And then there are people that are like, yeah, are, are they good? Are they good with, can they code? Like, are they good with people? Okay, cool. I don't really care. Like, did they go to high school? Totally. Okay, well, whatever. And it's really interesting because it's like never, um, we work with big corporations, we work with startups of all kind of levels. Um, and it's super interesting to me, like the hiring managers roll the dice, like what people want, which I think like, uh, is interesting coming from the perspective of like, I never had an option not than uh, other than going to college. Um, now I regret I didn't become a plumber. But that was like, oh, after high school, I go to college because like, that's where I need to go. And after college, I get a job. And actually, when I graduated from college, I didn't have a job. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. I don't totally. know what I'm gonna do. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I've been very right place, right time or right work ethic, right company or right, right something right now. Like, and I, I also will go ahead and fold in that, like, I've networked like a motherfucker. Like, yeah, which is how, like, I, I was a communication major and they talk a lot about it. And I was like, Egh. and then when I went to get a job, especially in a small town, like, I ended up getting interviews at two places because I knew people there. And one of them's the job that I still work at. Um, so you just never know, like, where you that's really all gonna don't. come together you later. really don't like it's just so happenstance like when I moved from uh Portland to San Francisco um I was working for this tech company out here and I used to sell this one brand of product that like their headquarters was in San Francisco and so like I texted like a rep that I used to work with and was like hey moving there three weeks and they were like dope do you need a job and I was like yep <laughs> just like happened like that like it just I pretty much had like one phone call with like their manager and was able to get in like it's very privilegy and it's very uh because I'm still a white woman uh, uh also gay but but still a, a white woman mm -hmm. that ended up selling a lot of their shit and they were like perfect like didn't need to go through like they typically did like four interviews to get somebody in and they're just like cool like jamie's fine like we'll, we'll yeah play. right yeah mm -hmm. so. yeah you seem fine go on in yeah interesting um we had talked about work-life balance a little bit and how that's um important kind of for you jumping around um, but it's definitely something that is very hard to achieve for people that are, um, I think like, I would assume, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong from your background that like that hard work mentality from working specifically with people that work in agriculture, um, that doesn't go away <laughs> and trying to find balance with that with work is challenging I have kind of that's my never-ending battle is like how much is yeah. going to yep. break yeah. me that's a very real thing I mean I've I've I think it's been ingrained because like what you're mentioning like because of like waking up at 6 a.m and like going down with the sun like I have I have a lot of stamina <laughs> for like 
the work life. Like I put, I put it all in, end up pulling, you know, three persons worth of weight with the type of work that I put in. Um, it brings me a lot of joy. It brings me a lot of purpose. Um, it's extremely rewarding and it's also a sacrifice, right? So like, when I was, I did, you know, one job yes. here for six yeah. years and like, it was really my identity, uh, and then moved to San Francisco and like that became my new identity, especially in that tech world, like taking Muni and going to the financial district and like working with salesforce.com and like $80 million a year customer for us. And I worked with them on a global scale. And so, um, I was starting work at 6 a.m. and I was taking calls from Singapore at 8 p.m. There, and then in between being my extroverted and hedonist that I am, like there was like no downtime, like like none at all. And then part of the whole game when you're in tech also is that like you're taking people out to happy hour. You're like wine and dining them. You're going to golf events. You're like doing all this stuff. And it's so interesting because like as a very progressive, like queer woman, like I'm not a classic quote corporate fit, but like I've adjusted and built in like how to make myself successful and like these, these areas that I end up working in. So yeah, I end up with like not a lot left in the tank, like at the end of the day. Um, but I think after San Francisco is when it really like, that's when the bubble popped for me. I was like, I cannot, I cannot keep doing this. Like I'm, I just really can't. Um, and kind of long story long, but hit up LA for a little bit, caught wind of another company that I work with now. Um, work for now and decided to move back to, to Portland because I wanted to really have what this quote is of this work-life balance. Like I wanted to be able to like live and like cultivate the community and uh, also make good money. And it's really hard to make good money in Portland. So I strategically definitely got my LA Mm -hmm. job you know, but I'm able to work in Portland to do it. And this is the most work-life balance I've ever had, period. And I think it really comes from doing remote work and like having that like space and like breathing room from constituents and coworkers who are like the fucking worst. Like I never want to work in an office ever again. Like I'm ruined. Like now that I work remote, like i I get work-life balance where like today I went and played basketball during lunch and mowed half my lawn before the lawnmower ran out of gas. And I feel like that gets like, that's, that's, it's part of what's most important to me (laughs) now for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, finagling and finding that fit, like I know I would go nuts working remotely um, I do it once a week and that even I'm like too OCD with my house and stuff to do it more. <laughs> um, but I think like knowing that's an option and working to have that is also like a really cool kind of privilege and um, 
becoming more of a right that millennials, I I think, started pushing, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I think it's becoming almost like, so much of the, do I need like, to I be here? With, Cause um, I don't want a very to cl- be close friend of mine works with me and uh, you know, she's, she's like looking for different employment and it's like, it, it's gotta be a blend. Like can't work five days a week in like some office. And I'm like, totally with you. Like couldn't imagine, couldn't imagine having to go to an office five days a week. Could not. Yeah. Well, and um, the idea of, um, having to be in our office because like you're tied to like your computer or your physical files or something like that's so foreign to me that I don't know how I would survive somewhere that's not like we use we only use cloud-based programs so everything is accessible all the time from anywhere and I can't now imagine like going backwards so it's weird thinking about like if I had a different job like what if I like had to use paper so or something? Like, how weird would that be? It's so real, though. Like, it. It. I mean, it sincerely has ruined me. Like, I. I've. I've really. Um. I've also taken the work-life balance where it. It. It had been so hard for me for the first like, you know, thirteen years that I was doing sales, and now that I've had like that very sugar watery fucking hummingbird lick of like this work-life balance I'm I'm all in like there are so many scenarios where like you know I'm I work from my home office in Portland and um and the company that I work for is based in LA and it's like I'm gonna go for meetings on Thursdays and Fridays cool 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 cool. 16 cools gonna round out that weekend and you know hang out in LA for the entire weekend like (laughs) It's yeah. delicious. Yeah. It's the funnest and thing of all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of people um, of varying like ages and generations like have no interest in that. Like they want the stability of and the accountability maybe even of an office. And it's it's gonna be really interesting to see like in twenty years, will anyone be in an office? Like we're running a search right now for a company that doesn't have an office. Like everybody works remotely. And I was like, I manage people remotely. I see them uh, fairly often, but I was like, I can't imagine having to have like a hard conversation and knowing you, there's no way you can have it in person. I was like, that would, that's so weird to think about, you know, like telling someone like, Hey, you really didn't like deliver that project you were supposed to deliver, but like having to do a video call, I guess you just get used to it. But I was like, I guess you do just get used to it. But I also, man, like, I fear for like, I feel really cool with doing remote because like as soon as my work day is over or even in my work trips, like I'm constantly around people. I never, I never stop yeah. being around yeah. people and talking to people and having those relations and visiting the office and yada, yada. But what, but what I do have like a major fear of, which is like part of like millennial culture, which is like, not wanting to go out, wanting to stay home, like not having communication with people. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that these are like very real things that should exist. Like it, like we're, I think we're supposed to like, you know, cohabitate and mingle together. And I think it builds a lot of character and a lot of grit. And that's where we yeah. get all of our opinions from. That's where we get our dislikes and likes. Like it's all part of the, the whole game. Like I don't want it to get too far out on like 
living any sort of hermited lifestyles because I think that that could be a bit that could be tricky. I could end up being tricky. Yeah. And I think um, living, like kind of settling into those routines and like it actually, you mentioned cohabitating. Like I do think that for me personally makes it worse. I think a lot of introverts that are in long-term relationships um, have issues with that. And especially like having some social anxiety and having like a town that doesn't have a lot of stuff to do um socially like I've just started like making up my own stuff to do and like hosting meetups for things um where I can kind of figure out like oh here's like a group of people that listen to this podcast or do this other thing that I do um and have some like common ground with that I think is what I've started doing that's been successful but I know a lot of people really struggle with that because it's like not intuitive to people that would rather just be at home but also are anxious about right. oh I shouldn't just be yeah, at home totally get that totally I also think like bravo by yeah. the way because I think it's I think it's Which, like super sweet because it's 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 got to take somebody to put that fucking invite out there to be like hey going to this place come on out if you want to like it's not like it, it takes somebody to do that yeah like, totally very rare yeah yeah and I I'm a I'm an organizer so that part of it's fine it's um I had to let go of the outcome um like I mod a group for another podcast in town and we do meetups quite a bit and um I will have I think the general trend has been half of the RSVPs for yeses actually show up and I've had to just be like it's fine like if half the people that said they're coming don't show up. Like I don't So your goal is to invite more than two. There's yeah. So there's like, (laughs) right. There's like 350 people in the group and we'll get anywhere from like 10 to 30 people that'll RCP for any given event. Um, I don't think we've ever had more than 15 people actually show up. So it's funny though, because like picking venues and stuff, like how do you pick a venue when you know half the people aren't going to come, but also potentially could um it's pretty funny and it's it goes back to kind of the general like where I live people are really flaky the demographic like the age group and the gender of the most of the people in the group makes it like just compounds it more and more that it's very challenging to predict who will show up to these no doubt I used to I used to um help coordinate and host uh, a once a month brunch event in in Los Angeles and let me tell you I had to make a lot of calls and figure out how to get anywhere between eight and 15 people out for brunch. And I would not recommend it. Um, it is very hard and there's a yeah. lot of anxiety well, and as it relates to splitting the bill. And, uh, <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. I started picking places like, uh, breweries that don't do 100%. table service. So that everyone's that on their own. So the way to go every single time, every single time. Yeah. I just, ugh, God, um, that I think this dovetails nicely into, um, dating as a millennial and an extrovert versus me dating as an introvert. <laughs> Fun times. Do you want to go first? <laughs> oh boy. Well, I think so. I haven't dated in a couple of years, but, um, I did a, mostly online dating, which, um, being a small town and, uh, I feel like I just saw the same people out like when I used to go out some and I was like I don't want to date any of these people so I dated online 
and did like Tinder and Mumble. And before that, I did like OkCupid. I think I did Plenty of Fish for a minute, but it was really gross. Um, and uh, that was nice because I think for introverts, like having initial communication over like texting basically is way less intense than like ge- like being picked up in a bar is like my one of my worst nightmares. Um, it's happened when I was super drunk, but uh, I would never be able to pick somebody up in a bar. And um, just that kind of like immediacy and like intimacy of being in person when you meet somebody, I think is like too much. Oh my God, for this me. is amazing. You have such like contrasting uh, opinions of of this. Um, and I and I and I I do want to say first <laughs> that like that makes total sense to me because I also couldn't imagine like. I don't want to get picked up at a bar. Like I don't want to get, I don't want to get hit on at a bar really myself as an extrovert. I think that on that side of it is, is tricky. Yeah. And I think um, not to put too sharp a point on it, but as um, I would think as a queer woman, it's a little different than I, you know, I'm only getting picked up by men and like, I'm worried they're going to murder me. Like every time I'm still a little worried Bill's going to murder me. So that adds like a layer to yeah the jury's still so I was like yeah the jury's still out on that one like we don't know like he hasn't yet yeah yeah I know I'm just you know every day is a winding road as Cheryl Crow says but I think that um that adds a layer that's like not subtle that online dating is sketchy as hell but getting picked up a person like you know even less about that person and so that to me was like hugely looming on all of my dating experiences not to derail but um, it was like a very real thing for me, um, dating. I, I, th- I think that's important to contrast though. Like our experiences are, are not going to be the same. Right. I'm absolutely. Like, I'm also like no egotistical, like superhero butch lesbian. That's like, <laughs> you know, well, you just haven't had the right lingo when you're out at a bar, like ridiculous, all of it irrelevant. Um, but what I can say is that like, it's uncomfortable to me as an extrovert to go on to like a social app, like a dating app and to just like flip through faces. Cause like, I want to, I want to get to know somebody and I feel very fucking judgy and like, like their look is like, a, like probably half the battle for me. Cause like. Like, I'm very intrigued with, like, knowing, like, can you have a conversation? Are you right. good in groups of people? Like, do you, like, are you, re- like, I, d- I don't know. Like, if if somebody is, like, so shy, like, they're not, probably not going to be a super great fit for me either. So yeah, what's interesting yeah. for, for me and being an extrovert is that, like, you know, I go to all kinds of, like, queer events and, you know, I don't know, out in public as anybody does. And there'll be somebody that like looks interesting or like friendly or whatever. And I could be not hitting on them at all. I never start with hitting on anybody, by the way. Like, it's never like, hey, good looking. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, that's absurd. That's not how, that's it, not works. how it works. But I will just like, also put my elbow on the bar just like they are like waiting for a drink and be like, yeah, so like, Oh, how's your Eve? You know, 
And there will be some folks, like, especially like at queer events and stuff that look at me like I have three fucking eyeballs. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, just asking how the evening Never mind. Like, I would even ask people how their evening was when I was in a relationship and they still looked at me with three eyeballs. Like, it's, yeah, there's, you don't know who is, who is wanting to get a hello and who's not wanting to get a hello. <laughs> And, it, yeah, and it's especially interesting bad. to me because, like, when you go to, like, specific, especially in, like, the lesbian community, like, you go to specific, like, queer nights to dance yourself, you know, for fun. You dance for fun. Uh, when you go yeah. out to go dancing, it's, like, at least half of those people just put on, like, their best face, their best clothes. They're, like, hope I meet somebody tonight, like, out here, like single life like always a bridesmaid never a bride like ready to go out <laughs> and and then you talk to people and they're like nope with my group of friends like not willing to talk to other people and it's like dang like are you kidding that's why you're a bridesmaid <laughs> exactly. it's like everybody just stays huddled in their own groups and doesn't like cross-pollinate conversations it's uh... like then what is all of this for <laughs> like She's yeah, that's interesting too because if it's, um, yeah, huh? Because I think you know, like if I went out with, I only have like two girlfriends, but if I went out with them, um, and there was a group of guys, like it, I don't know, the dynamic would be very different because it's like much more like you're approaching for a purpose, which you are totally. too. But I don't know, the lines are less blurry of like. I am pursuing you for like for another sure. intent. And here's, here's what I think. And I was kind of having a really fun time uh, with what that that's very real, by the way. Like I, I'm okay having a hello with somebody I've never met. And the reality is, is that folks aren't okay having a hello with somebody they've never met before, like back. Um, and I think what's like right. cross like intersection intersectionally is that, if you have at least one friend who is like an associate, like can can bridge that acquaintance or that like not knowing person, then you get kind of a badge of of being vetted by somebody. So so I think yeah yeah yeah. In this day and age, I think we need to put more pressure on our friends to introduce them to our friends as single people because they are our greatest advocate to meet new folks period because yeah it's this isn't a rom-com like i'm not going to drop a plate of spaghetti on the street on somebody's foot and then all of a sudden we're together like that's not what's gonna happen never <laughs> say never um i do think that uh i don't know like i i really always hesitate to i've had people ask me to be matchmakers or be a matchmaker for them. And I've never done it because I'm always like, oh, I feel like it's like um, when you give referrals at work to people, you know, like I will never do that. Cause I'm like, I don't know. Like I work with them at a different job. I don't know how they're going to behave here. Like I'm just their friend. Like, I don't know how they're going to behave. And like, I will do that for like my best friend. I would do that for Bill. I'd be like, Ooh, yep. Can't do it. I don't know. Don't know how that's going to turn out. Like roll the dice, see how they do it in process. But I, I've never match made for anybody because 
I've had people do it for me and it's gone horribly awry. And yeah, I was involved in a a love triangle with two Starbucks baristas in the summer of 20 something, 15 probably. You should start writing the screenplay now. Yeah, it was over. It gets better. I had a scooter. There was a Craigslist, uh, what is that thing? Misconnection that involved the scooter. It was gnarly. What did they say exactly? It was so gnarly. Were they like, cute, cute on so, the scoot? <laughs> pretty much. Um, I used to read Misconnections every day. I don't know why. This was when all of the um, like texts from last night and like all those websites were up that everybody read like religiously. And everybody just wanted to like be in everyone's shit all the time. And uh, I um, got set up with this barista who I thought was cute by a friend at work who went to Starbucks like four times a day. And so I was set up with him. I don't really remember. I think I like added him on Facebook. Like that's how long ago and how weird this all ended up being. But let's see. I must have been like, I don't think I was 21. I think I was like 20. Anyway, um, I only, I rode my scooter everywhere. So he'd see me on a scooter and then I'd gone to Starbucks on the scooter to meet up with my other friend. And all of a sudden there was a missed connection on Craigslist that this other barista who I didn't know and uh, I don't think I'd ever talked to was like, I thought we had something. Um, and the title was like scooter girl with like yellow jacket. Cause I had a bright yellow, like mesh jacket that I wore. And I was like, Oh no, I hope I screenshotted it somewhere. I should see if I can find yeah, it. That's a, that's a but, yeah, for sure. And the funny part was the other guy heard about it too. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I thought he was gay. Like, I just don't really know what's going on here. And I was like, this whole thing is a dumpster fire. And then the guy I got set up with, I'd never seen outside of Starbucks. And when we went on a date, number one, this will go down as like the worst date. And eh, that's probably not true. One of the worst dates I've ever had. He almost immediately told me my arms were too long for my body. And I was like, excuse you. And then he had all these hairs sprouting out of the top of his nose that really scared me. And I was like, I need to leave. Oh, and he was homeschooled. It was a triple threat. <laughs> arms too long hair on the nose used to be homeschooled and I was like I gotta go I'm done here I gotta go oh my god that's the most ridiculous ever yeah but it was like the love triangle from hell because I didn't want any part of it oh my god that's hilarious yeah luckily they all moved away one became a truck driver one became I don't know what but they moved away Elon Musk um yeah just about i'm grimes in the story i I really do have to know out of the three which was the the number one deal breaker for you was it getting thrashed for your arms being too long was it the nose hair yeah it was the nose hair to be honest i mean the homeschooling thing at the end of the day would have been too much but he like walked out of a building into light and i was like what like why do you have a mustache growing out of the top of (laughs) your nose never mind i'm not gonna ask that yeah that sounds not good yeah. It was gross. It was not great. And I was like, you're like 25. Like, this is going to get well, much worse as you get older. Well, if he has a mirror. A pound, he was yeah. a Who knows? Maybe he... Who knows? Only in the darkness. Yeah. I will never know. I don't want to know. He was right. from well, Kansas. They love you, Craig, or whatever his name was. Yeah, right. Goodbye to whatever yeah. your name. I don't even remember his name. Oof. Oof. Yeah. 
Do you, so you don't want to swipe. So do you actually not online date at all? I've or you have, do, you just don't like it. I've dabbled uh, and I just don't like it. Um, That's so funny. It was like my favorite thing. Yeah. I don't know. It seems, uh, but it also really toggles on like a little bit of my conservative and, and emotional side. Mm. Uh, Cause like I'm kind of love the whole, like the dating and the conversating, the rom-com, like all that kind of stuff. I don't like to judge people immediately. Like I really want to get to know them. I'm a cancer. And mm-hmm. I, I think that combination is what kind of leads me away from like the swipey swipey. Cause on the full on extrovert side, like you'd think that I'd be like dope date, dope date, dope date, you know, like this would be great for me. Like lots of new audiences to like share my same jokes over and over again and see if like they want to date sometime. But it's not. <laughs> but it's right. But it's not. And then yeah. also a smidge of you know, and I'm I try to be as real and transparent as possible. But you know, I'm about like six months out of a four year relationship, so I'm also being a little smidge more strategic or a little bit more mindful right. of that stuff. So it's a it's a big sharknado of different. Um, <laughs> different reasons why the online dating I don't think is really fitting the scope for me I I think I have like I imagine myself still meeting somebody like through a friend or through happenstance or serendipity yeah yeah Yeah. I can't remember are you a vegan vegetarian oh pescatarian okay see you live in Portland I I know the scoop here um, I think that someone was telling me that I should try and pick up a man at the meat counter at Whole Foods <laughs> for a while. And I was like, what? And you can't do that. You could buy some scallops or something, but you know, those are the, that's the room. That's the rom-com way is just like bumping into people. It's actually kind of funny. Um, Bill and I have talked about, uh, you know, he was, married when I was in college living here, which is kind of funny and, uh, had a very different life for a long time while I was kind of simultaneously living a weird life here. Um, but thinking about like how many times we were probably at like the same store, the same gas station, like it's a pretty small town. So, um, it's been kind of funny. Like we never met or saw each other that we know of, but you see so many people all the time. It's like, we probably saw each other at some point. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's very cute. cute. And it's, I think about those things and I think, you know, the movie world and TV has really like brought that a little bit closer, but it also, the realist is that it brings it closer when you do live in a, in a smaller town. And it's like, I mean, picture this, like, let's just paint a picture. I go to a bar, I close out, leave said bar, woman, potentially I meet two weeks later, walked in four minutes later. Like that's not right, like, yeah. some wild idea. Like it, it happens all the time. Right. Whether they're like. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of, um, I just, I've become not that I, I don't really believe in much like spiritually or otherwise, but um, I just think you meet people at the time you're supposed to meet them. And that's very much how I felt when I was even online dating for me. Cause I, um, when I first online dated, I online dated, like met someone who was in a relationship for a while, um, jumped into another relationship right after that. And I think another one after that. And, 
um, I was on OkCupid and I'd talk to people and talk to people and talk to people and talk to people. And I was forming kind of like bonds and almost relationships with these folks before I had met them in person. And then when I met them in person, unlike you, I'm super judgmental. So I would immediately be like, nope, your teeth are weird. Gotta go. And very quickly was like, I need to just say like, hey, how's it going? Like, can you, uh, you know, can you communicate in a way that makes sense to me? Um, if so, like, let's go get a drink or something. Cause I don't want to drag this out forever and become a pen pal and then meet you in person and be like, ew, 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 never mind. Totally. I mean, even it's so real. It's just so real. I mean, even these, you know, extroverts like us, like, uh, definitely have our limits as well. Like I was amazed cause like I haven't been on a date in over four years and then I, I, I went on a few and like, I think the minimum time that I spent at this date was two and a half hours oh boy oh boy is right like I left being like phew I'm exhausted I'm gonna need to take a nap before bed like I'm pooped I'm pooped yeah it's a lot of emotional energy I don't like the setup I don't want to sit like at a two-top table regardless of where but I don't want to sit at a two-top and I'll be like hi there how's it going great 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 what do you do for work great 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 like, I also don't like that. I really, like, it seems very interviewee and it's not, I don't feel like either of us are really ourselves at all. Yeah. Like, I know that it's totally inappropriate and not cool and not okay from a social standpoint with dating, but I'm like, hey, like, if you want to hang out, like, me and my friends are going to be, like, here at this time, like... I, I would be more like oh, I know it sounds no, 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 it's not okay. I know it's not. I know it's not. I know we're wrong. I know. I think you have to do. I think you gotta move to. Bill dated every dental hygienist and elementary school teacher in a hundred mile radius after he got divorced, and he had a couple rules. One was do not have the first date be more than an hour because it's just like a pulse check. And if there seems like there's something there, like set up a second date and actually go do something. Cause now, you know, they're probably not a serial killer, probably, hopefully. Um, but make that an actual activity so that you can do something like he would do like physical activities, which when we met, I was like, ha ha ha, no. Like he'd go on a hike or something or go kayaking was his, was his bag. But um, then he could actually like get to know people for, you know, to see what they were really all about instead of, sitting at a two top and he once we started dating because he dated so much he had some really good date ideas so if anyone's in the area and needs date ideas they'll come in the area ish there you go (laughs) yeah one of the ones i will say um i had not dated uh i feel like millennials especially millennial men and i barely dated millennial men because i date folks that are so much older than me um are just really lazy with dating. I don't know if it's the same for queer folks, but I uh, was wholly unimpressed by pretty much everyone I ever dated um, and the amount of effort they were willing and able to put into activities. But um, the probably the best one was Bill last, no, two summers ago when we first met, um, had me drive up to Mount Baker, to the top of Mount Baker in July, and we went sledding. And he'd packed a sled or two sleds and like some extra clothes 
and a picnic in my trunk, which is really small. So I had no idea what we were doing. But we got up there and he's like, okay, we're going sledding. And I was like, what? And the best part was he's like, okay, uh, do you have pants you can put on? Because I was wearing, I think I was wearing a dress. And I was like, it's like the end of July. Like, I don't have pants. And he's like, we're going sledding. And I was like, well, you should have told me we were going sledding. So I had the proper attire. That's so cute. That's that so was, darling. Yeah, like, it was cute. He's like it extra romantic, though. That's not like, not like extra too extra but like i'm very very impressed that's that's a very thoughtful date yeah it was very cute but i think he trout run that with like at least four you know third grade teachers yeah. before it got to me which is totally fine he nailed down the details he really did. nailed them he down really you know um, honed in on his craft yeah i appreciate it I appreciate a good date. I had kind of gotten to the point where I was really cynical about it, which I also think is uh, something that I had become for dating in general. And then um, I am a very like, I don't like to date. So I want to meet somebody. And if I like them, I will just date them until they like kick me out of their house, like six to 24 months later. Um, and Bill was like, not <laughs> ready for me to just move in. <laughs> On the third day. Great. You're like a feral cat and you wait for them to stop feeding you. Yeah. yeah. Like literally. I'm like, I'm like, oh, is that drawer empty? Can I put some stuff in there? Oh my god, that's so fun. Oh, is that my hairdryer in the bathroom? Who put that there? You're like, hey, um, hand towels. And they're like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's real bad. But um Bill was not ready for that. So it was kind of nice because I had to kind of we just we worked at a different pace. And I think Part of that was generational. Part of that was, um, you know, him being divorced. I was coming out of a longer relationship and a really long relationship for me, at least before that. So um, it was, we paced ourselves a little bit, which was brilliant. Kind of fun. I think also like when it works, it just works. Like there's, there's really no like yeah. forcing it at all. Like there's like the ones that work yeah. end up being like, you didn't have to try as hard. Like you didn't right for sure and I think I think um it's interesting you mentioned like coming out of a four-year relationship I think you know obviously throughout time people have dated and not gotten married and gotten married and gotten divorced and like done whatever they wanted but for the most part the idea of you can just date indefinitely and it is a little different because it was not um a hetero uh relationship but um dating for a long time and not being married where uh you know that was not a thing <laughs> even like 50 years ago, like, you know, you date for like a couple months, then you get married and live together until you die. I mean, it, <laughs> and now it's like, I mean, yeah, check this man. out, like, and I'll be super transparent and open about this. Like, uh, I, the person that I was with before this was, uh, is, is five years younger than I am. And, uh, we had, you know, mm -hmm. like the breakup still sucks. Like to break up with somebody after a long period of time sucks. Hard stop. Very much sucks. But like her reasoning being, you know, younger than me is like, hey, like not really, haven't really found my direction, like haven't really lived some of the things that I want to live. And, uh, you know, we met when I was a young person and I'm not exactly the young person that I was and still sucked to hear. But in general, I was like, fucking fair, like. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> like I totally get it. And I, you know, it just, it, it is what it is. Like, 
yeah where I think uh it's it's nice to have that option now where I think a lot of previous generations like a, you wouldn't be able to be in any sort of relationship or, with a woman. She would have just swallowed it, right? Right. Yeah, like, absolutely. Went, right. Like went through with it. It's been such a long time. Like, you know, and just We've got just, the kids, right, you know, and just like settled in. And it's like, I mean, that is the beauty of, of this day and age and like millennial culture of like, nah, like we have choice and like, mm-hmm. I choose me. Right. Like out of yeah. everything else whatever's going on, like, I choose me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that um, with uh, a lot of these kind of life um, life events getting pushed out, I think they also kind of lose a lot of the, like, mystique around them because it's, like, you don't have to get married when you're, like, 18. You can get married when you're, like, 40 or never. Um, you can get married, like, eight times. It really doesn't matter. Um, I think that that's, like, really freeing, And I think, but I also think like, I grew up like in a conservative family that I was expected probably to get married. Um, That was like the unwritten thing. But I, I was very like, no, I don't want to do that. And I, at some point realized like that was more to be contrary than it was like any deep thinking around the topic. Um, So I had to kind of reevaluate like, am I doing, am I saying I never want to get married to be obstinate or is that actually what I think? Totally. Totally. And I don't, I still like Bill and I are engaged and I still don't really know what I think about it. Like every day it's something different. I'm like, that would be really cool. And then I'm like, yeah, we'll probably get divorced. Cause like, that's how statistics work. But then I'm like, yeah, well, you, is that even that big of a deal? Think Who knows? That you, um, cause I hated uh, me and my last partner were engaged and like, we would literally never say like, we're, we're fiancés, right? Like it, literally, oh, yeah, yeah. it makes like, I don't, I always call my partner. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a privilege of mine that I can do that and people understand. Um, and that was not the case even like five but years you, ago. Actually, my dad calls him that, which I think is funny. Oh, that's cute. Um, yeah, I think he feels weird calling him my boyfriend because he's so much older than me. He's like he's like closer in my dad's age than to me. And he's like, your man friend, your gentleman caller. That's so good. But partner works too. That's so good. We also can't fight the patriarchy so hard that we don't feel happy for ourselves in moments yeah for sure yeah and I think that's that's also deeply ingrained so I have to think like what do I actually want at the end of the day and what makes sense for me and like for kind of our situation and our family and I still don't know so we haven't done anything but um it's definitely like weird territory sure for sure yeah and just thinking about um you know he has a daughter so how am I kind of modeling for her how this relationship works and like who does what and why and you know what are the boundaries of any of that um I think about a decent amount too because that's kind of what she's growing up with oh, right of now course. I think that's such a yeah. um that's such a, the the right mindset to have which is like you you have this this thing that's a human that's a a, a young woman and and how are we going to uh model how, like because you know how things have affected you as an older person and to have like the audacity and the autonomy to know that that matters is huge. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I'm curious to see as millennials kind of punt a lot of these life events. Um, I My prediction is that we'll have more and more step parents of 
folks to get divorced and then get remarried or, you know, have a new partner who helps them raise their kids. Like I kind of foresee that being more prevalent. And it's interesting because, um, excuse me, I mentioned on a different episode that now, at least in Washington, and I'm, I'm sure it's similar, like in the Portland area, unless a dad chooses to have less custody or does something like really bad, um, parents pretty much start at 50, 50 now instead of dads are like every other weekend and like maybe the summers or something. So that's shifting as well that, you know, you could have a stepmom that's in your life as much as your biological mom, mm-hmm. which is odd. Right. Traditionally. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see in, you know, it, 20 it years. Kind I mean, of we're, where just, all this we're not out. reproducing at the rate that we were before. And, uh, and there's going to be some some changes that come with that. It'll be very interesting. I try, I'm trying this whole new thing of like yeah. living in the moment, but then my like job and like social, like all that stuff forces me to think like beyond. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we like, we talked about um, this will apply to you in a funny way. Um, my quasi stepdaughter is 11. She just turned 11 and we're like, how much is she actually going to have to know how to drive? Mm-hmm. Totally. Because it's like, if public transit, if a lot of stuff is becoming autonomous, like, and a lot of stuff is just going to have autonomous um, capabilities, even if, you know, Tesla can do the cruising, the adaptive cruising, which is so nice. Um, or even I rented like a Toyota Corolla that had that. And it was like my favorite thing ever, the adaptive oh, yeah. cruise control. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's like, how much is she going to actually have to learn about driving versus how much of it will be done for her? Like, I've driven a stick car once. I know I can do it because I can ride a motorcycle. But I'm like, she's just not, it's not going to be a thing. She's not going to have to I know, even it's learn. It's tricky, though, because I think, I, I, I mean, I think the adoption is not going to be as fast. But I also think that, like these are skills that are really good to have in situations where like autonomous doesn't exist because like one other huge major topic, I'm just going to have to come back on the show another time, which is like, which is like, um, there, I, I, I think that the whole millennial term can be really broadly used for like privileged uh, oh, absolutely! Privileged, yeah. socioeconomically inclined, like folks. So, you know, when there's like metros of New York and LA and Portland and Seattle that are participating in autonomous vehicles and all this other stuff, there's still going to be a major set of groups that are just now getting Wi-Fi and smartphones and driver's license and all that stuff. Like, it's not. It's, it's not everywhere. <laughs> so when those, when, when these kids and when these people like become friends with different folks from different walks of life, like it's not the same experience. Yep. So I think the, the broader we can keep yeah. our tools and our conversations and like all that stuff is like the better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was listening to um, mm. the bad with money podcast, which is really great. Um, it's a, she's a millennial, but she, um, 
she was ta- she had a guest on who was talking about millennials and the label millennial gets used mostly for like basically making fun of millennials or like positive things that people view as negative like oh they're so into like politics right. and you're like yeah like that's such a bad thing um but there's also a lot of you know Trayvon Martin was an, a millennial like a lot of young black men that have been killed like they're not referred to as like young millennial man you know shot by police today it's always like some black youth was gunned down it's like it's not it's not applicable to um a lot of what's being talked about that involves millennials that just don't happen to be well said totally agree and i think that's like just important to just kind of keep in reference to this stuff because it's like it's it's almost like protecting myself it's like i i don't want to give the illusion that i think that all persons that were born between the years of this and this, like literally buy $15 avocado toast. Like, did I last weekend in, in LA? Right. Get your fucking butt. I did. Uh, did I this, this week <laughs> in Portland? Like, no, yeah. did not. Like, it's like, we're, we're, we're all very versatile. Right. We've, we've all like succumbed to so many different, um, you know, scenarios and, um, and habits that are kind of, begot by all of this and influence and media and what we like and what we don't like. And, and it's very interesting. That's why I've, I've very much have enjoyed listening to uh, your podcast. Cause I think you have had like a very different types of folks on that have different experiences. And I, I, I think that's the great goal to have with this for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, I'm excited after um, talking to everyone and I'm going to do um, a couple more episodes and then break for a little bit to try and to try and oh, actually build oh. up a store of episodes. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think one of my big goals and like trying to kind of pace myself a little bit more and not be bum rushing to hit all my deadlines is getting, uh, you know, an even more diverse group of folks with um, the next season to get continue to kind of build on this idea of like, you know, what is the millennial experience that like the media talks about versus like who are actually millennials having experiences? Um, Cause those are not the same things. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Bravo. That sounds good. Are you having fun? Yes. Oh, that's it is fun. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. It's a nice, it's a nice uh, creative thing for me to do. And I think it fuels my um, need for some human contact, but it's not an overwhelming amount on your terms. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what's up. Well, well right this, has, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for um, coming on the podcast and chatting. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this awesome episode of Not Quite Dead. Thanks again to Jamie for being on the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest, you can email hello at notquitedeadpodcast.com. We will be doing a wrap-up episode as our 10th and final episode of season one, and then we will be back with a vengeance for season two, I think, in a month or two. Um, Thanks so much for listening. This has been a really fun project for me. I've had a ton of great feedback from people, friends, acquaintances, strangers. It's been really awesome, and I'm really enjoying doing this. So if you would like to partake in an interview, let me know. Um, Please rate, subscribe, review, and refer us to your friends, however you want to do that. Uh, We really appreciate it, and thanks again for listening.